Go ahead and be found in Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3 this morning. and Give you just a second to find that. We've been going through this journey over the last couple of weeks. And the purpose of the book of Habakkuk is, is God in control of history. And then is God in control of my life. And we've just near have come to the end of the book. And we're still asking those questions. But thank the Lord God has given us some answers. Of what it means when God is in control of history. In Habakkuk chapter 3, last week we learned the first two verses. About what he was praying when it came to revival. Asking God to send revival. Even in the midst of difficulty, asking God to send revival. When you come down to verse 3 of chapter 3, all the way to the end of the book, there is a new problem that arises. In fact, it's in verse 16. So I want you to go all the way down to verse 16, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. He said, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Even though Habakkuk knew exactly what was about to take place, how the Babylonians were coming to conquer the nation of Israel, to discipline because of their sin, even though Habakkuk knew what was about to take place, there's a fear inside of him. He is, there is a, a in fact, that verse 16, there is, it's a brilliant description of intense, bone-shattering fear. And Habakkuk is honest enough to say that this is how he felt when God spoke to him about the Babylonian invasion. So for a few minutes this morning, I want us to talk about the subject. A joy that overcomes fear. There's always fear. There's always the, the fear of the unknown. The fear of uncertainty. And no matter where you may be in your walk with Christ, in one second that can change. And there can be a fear over you that you can't explain that maybe you can't even justify. And you ask the Lord, Lord, I need you to, to help me through this. There may be a situation that you're going through with your family that you don't understand. And you're asking God to, to help you through that. And what I want us to do as we look at this chapter is to talk about a joy that overcomes fear. Now, you have often heard that God will not put on you more than you can handle. In fact, if I've heard that, that's probably the, the slogan that I hear more often as being a raised in church and being in ministry. When you're going through life's difficulty, when it seems like things are very tough in your life, somebody will say, now God will not put on you more than you can handle. I wish that were true. But it's not. And that statement is nowhere in the Bible. Now immediately you think, Brother John, yeah, the Bible does say that He will not put on us more than He will handle. Yes, it does. 
But you got to make sure what the verse is saying. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. You may want to write that down. And let me read you what the verse says. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overcome you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God will not tempt you more than you can handle. There will not be any temptation in your life, whether from the enemy or whoever, more than you can handle. But nowhere in the Scripture does it say that there will never be circumstances that you go through that you can't handle. Because here's my answer to that. If God will not put on us more than we can handle, then why do we need God? We need God because we go through situations that are beyond more than we can handle. And then number two, how many of you have been through circumstances that you couldn't handle? Probably three-fourths of the hands ought to be raised. Not, not, don't raise your hand. But I, I know because that's uncomfortable for some, but this is all you got to do. <laughs> You've been through. I've been through. I don't know how to handle this. And somebody comes alongside, well, you know, brother, come alongside, you know, brother John, the Bible says that God won't put on you more than you handle. No, no, it doesn't. Because I'm in a situation right now I can't handle. <laughs> You've been there. Maybe some of you are here today. When Daniel was in the lion's den, that was a situation where he couldn't handle. When David was facing Goliath, that was a situation that was more than he could handle. He needed something. He needed help from Almighty God. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians. Listen to this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul wrote this, Paul, the greatest missionary church planter to ever lived. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of our trouble, or misinformed of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we de despaired even of life. Paul said, look, I, I, we thought we were going to die. It was beyond our strength. It was beyond anything we can do. What Paul is saying is, I'm in a situation greater than I can handle. Verse 9, yes, we even had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. There's the key. God will put you in situations that you cannot handle, so you will trust in Him and trust in the name of Almighty God. That's exactly what God did to Habakkuk. God put Habakkuk, a man who prayed for revival, a man who wanted, wanted uh, redemption or forgiveness of the sins of the nation of Israel, and God instead put him in a situation greater than he can handle so that all Habakkuk had was his faith. The just shall live by faith. We saw that in chapter 2. And now as it, is, as, it is, as it is expanding, he prays in chapter 3, Oh Lord, I've heard your speech, I was afraid. Revive your work, Lord. And, and then he goes from chapter, verse 3 all the way through verse 16, and it talks about how, how mighty, how marvelous, how faithful, how graceful, how loving our God is. And at the end of that, he says in verse 16, I am absolutely scared to death about what's about to take place. Now, it ends on a positive hymn of faith. That's next week's sermon. In fact, this sermon is really two parts. And we'll finish that next week, but we can't skip the good part, until, or all of it's good. We can't skip, skip the favorite part, or we can't get to the favorite part until we first reach how that is set up. 
And we see that in verses 3 through 16. So what do you do when you're scared? What do you do when you're fearful? Before we can talk about a joy that overcomes fear, let's talk about some reactions that, that comes in our, in our life when we're scared, when we're fearful. Sometimes we choose just to ignore it. We say, well, everybody gets sick, everybody dies. It's just a part of life. That's just why we're here. We're born, we get sick, and we die. It just happens to everybody, and we ignore what God's trying to do. Everybody suffers, everybody dies, and we just ignore all the things that God is doing in our life and the purpose of behind all of that. Number two, you can run from it. This happens a lot. We run from our problems. We deny that there is a problem. We think that because there is a problem, there's some type of sin in our life. And although it may be, sometimes God just sends problems because you love Him. And He wants to see you grow. But sometimes you try to outrun your problems, but we'll soon find out your problems are faster than you. Number three, you can lean on emotion. This is the pep talk. This is after the ball team's lost 150 to nothing. And the coach says, you did good. Good job. Just keep it up. <laughs> the pep talk. It's going to be okay. Don't let anything get you down. Only problem is that would be okay if it were true. But it's not. Sometimes we need more than emotion. We need more than just a pep talk. We need more than just a, that a boy, that's okay, or a pat on the back. All those things are good but it does not replace the fear that is in our life. There's something greater that you need and that I need in the midst of issues and problems and trials and sicknesses and circumstances that we go through. We need something that is greater than all of that. We need something that will give us a joy even in the midst of life's scariest moments or a fear. We need something that can't be found out in the world, that can only be found in our Lord or in the precious Word of God. The Christian way to respond when you are scared is to have the joy of the Lord. And that's what Habakkuk is trying to teach us. The joy of the Lord. When you rejoice in God, you are placing your confidence in the one who acts powerfully and effectively on your behalf. Joy is not, is not made up by man-made temporal physical things. Joy comes from a relationship, an eternal relationship that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear is temporal, but joy is eternal. So to replace something that is temporal, you must have something that is eternal and joy always trumps fear. So the Bible says in verse 3, and I want you to follow on. This is a poem. Uh, this is a, uh, if, if you've studied scripture, this is called a theophany, which means that this is pictures of God's mighty acts in the Old Testament. In fact, many believe, many scholars believe this is the greatest theophany in all of the Old Testament. But this is a poem. This is a song of Habakkuk, just like there's a song of Moses and a song of Mary in the New Testament. This is a song of Habakkuk. But Habakkuk is not writing it, and Habakkuk is not singing it. This is God speaking on behalf of Habakkuk, explaining to him what it means to have joy in the midst of fear. So let's look at some of the things that God has done. Verse 3, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. 
His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand and there His power was hidden. Before Him went pestilence and fever followed at His feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushion, Cushan, and in affliction, the mountains of the land of Midian tremble. You say, brother, what in the world? <laughs> what in the world is this talking about? I, I admit this is oftentimes very difficult to translate. In fact, verse 3 through 16 all talk about one thing. I've got one point this morning. And that doesn't mean it's going to be a short sermon. Sorry, one point. Number one is this, and only the only point. Remind yourself when you are scared to have, to have joy in the midst of fear. Here's what needs to take place. Remind yourself of what you already know. Remind yourself of what you already know. Habakkuk was one that loved the Lord. Habakkuk was one that was praying for revival. Habakkuk loved God. And all God did for Habakkuk was remind him of what he already knew. He said, let's go down the, the, the lesson of Bible history. Let's go down the road of Bible history. And let me show you, Habakkuk, what you already know. But this is what you're going to need in order to have joy that will overcome your fear is to be reminded of who God is. So remind yourself of what you already know. Faced with fear, Habakkuk reminds himself of what he already knows, remembering that God restores his joy and brings him victory over fear of the future. As I mentioned earlier, verse 3 through 16, it can be very difficult. And you don't need to be bogged down onto the details and you miss the major point of what chapter 3 is talking about. These verses talk about how the Jewish people when, when God led them out of Israel, how God was a defense, how God was a, was a power towards them against the nation of Egypt through the wilderness all the way into the promised land. All of these verses ref reference to that even outside of the promised land after the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua, even all the way up to places like David and, and the, the book of Psalms. You see some of that here in this passage. So I want to walk through in just these few minutes and just kind of give you some highlights of what God has done. Some of these stories are familiar. Some of them we have to believe by faith because it doesn't explain exactly what He's talking about. You can assume, and that's okay. But verse 3 talks about the beginning of the nation of Israel, how they left Egypt. How they left and was going to the promised land. How God came from Teman, the Mount Holy One, the Mount Paran. These two places are mountain ranges on the southern border of, of Israel where Egypt was. How God took a nation of Israel out of Egypt and was leading them into the promised land. Raised up a man like, named Moses. Verse 3 says it was the Holy One. It was the, the, the holiness of God that was shown during this time. The difference between Egypt and Pharaoh and God Almighty was God's holiness and how God was perfect. The Bible says His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His, of his, uh, uh, of, of his praise. Speaking of the, the, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, how when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, He came down and His light, His face was shining with light. How that cloud led them by the day. That was the presence and the light of Almighty God. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand. And there's power was hidden. 
as Habakkuk is reading this, remember verse 16, he's trembling. Because he's reading about the, the, the mightiness of Almighty God, the mightiness of God, how His power was hidden. It doesn't mean that God wasn't powerful. It just means that God could not portray all of His power because everyone around them would have died. How He was hidden. How part of it was hidden. Verse 5, before Him went pestilence. Fever followed at His feet. You can relate this to the plagues of Egypt during the times of uh, the wandering through the, through, the, the, through, through the wilderness time and the, the ten plagues that were there. The Bible says in verse 6, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. There was not a nation on this earth that was greater than God. How even though God is using the Babylonians to destroy the nation of Israel, the Bible says in verse 6, Habakkuk, I want you to understand that nobody is greater than Almighty God. God puts kings into their thrones. God puts kingdoms into power and God can take them away. He has stood and measured the earth. He's looked and stole the nations. Everlasting mountains were scattered. Their perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. Habakkuk, I want you to know the greatest physical phenomenon on this earth are mountain ranges and they tremble at the feet of Almighty God. Habakkuk, I want you to memorize that. I want you to remember that. Never forget who God is. Be reminded of what you already know that God is all powerful. Some of you this morning are in situations and you're scared and there is a fear and you know what you hear that there ought to be a joy. How can I have that joy? Be reminded of what you already know about God. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian tremble. This has to be some relation to Joshua, the conquest of Canaan during this passage, during this time, and how they fought the Midianites Surrounding nations, which is the Midianites and the Cushions, the surrounding nations on their journey during this time. Verse 8, O Lord, you were displeased with the rivers. Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? What a powerful reminder of how God not only parted the Red Sea for the nation of Israel, all one million plus of them to, to, to follow through on dry land, how God made the Red Sea stand up on its side. They walked through, and then when that last person crossed that Red Sea, and the Pharaoh and his army jumped inside of that, that dry land, the waters came back down, and the entire army drowned. Oh Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Were you angry against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea, not only in the times of Moses, but also the crossing of the Jordan River? Verse 9, your bow is made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. Overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted up its hand on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. And the light of your arrows, they went at the shining of your glittering spirit. Do you, really, do you remember in Joshua 10 when Joshua just simply prayed? And how the, the, the Gibeon army, the Gibeonites came and how, how they, were, they were being destroyed by the hailstones from Almighty God. And, and Joshua prayed that the sun would stand still so they can finish the defeat of the army. And God calls the sun and the moon to stand still. Don't you think your prayer works? How Joshua said, Lord, can you make the greatest star on this planet how everything revolves around. Can you make the sun stand still in its orbit? God said, yeah, I can do that. 
Can you make all the moons, can you make them all stay in place and make the time stop so we can finish this battle? Yeah, I can do that. Habakkuk, Lord, Habakkuk, you remember that? Can I remind you that I made the sun stand still? Can I remind you that I made the, made the, the, the moon stand still? Can I remind you that I have driven every scientist crazy trying to understand that? Habakkuk, do you understand? Do you understand who I am? Do you understand what you know? Why are you scared? Why are you fearful? That's why you can have joy in the middle of fear and anxiety, although you may not understand it all and say, God, I'm just trusting you. You made the sun stand still. You made the sea part. You made the Jordan River uh, 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 cross over. You caused the ten plagues to come. Lord, you did all of these things, so I'm simply putting my trust in you, although you may be scared. Habakkuk, I want you to have a joy even in the midst of your fear. Verse 12, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. All through the Old Testament, you see the power of God over nations. God told Habakkuk in chapter 2 what He's going to do to the nation of Babylon, as great as they are. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation of the neck. We'll get into some of that here in just a second. But I want you to see here in verse 13, I want you to miss this. You went forth for the salvation of your people. The salvation with your anointed. The anointed refers to the lineage of David where the Messiah would come. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation of the neck. More than likely refers to David and Goliath here. But I want you to miss verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people. Sometimes the Old Testament can be hard to understand because of all the war and the death and the plagues and the the way God worked. But I want you to ever miss the purpose of God in the Old Testament was to see the salvation of every single person. Nobody's saved today any different than they were during the days of Moses. During the days of Moses, there wasn't something that they didn't have to be circumcised or this. They did to become a... Or all Jews did that. That was a part of their lifestyle. But that was not needed for salvation. People in the Old Testament looked forward to the Messiah. The Bible says in Genesis 15, Abraham, he believed and it was, he was considered righteous. He, he believed, he, he understood that a Messiah was soon coming. And they put their faith in a soon coming Messiah that would come and to, to restore not only the nation of Israel, but to, to, uh, to uh, uh, redeem all of mankind and to forgive everybody's sin. Jesus is the central part of all human history. Today we look back 2,000 years later and the way we're saved today is to look back to the cross just like those in the Old Testament were saved looking to the cross. 
God is a God of salvation. Salvation is an eternal matter. It's not a temporal thing that you do here on this earth because it's we're in the New Testament or the age of grace. I believe more people are getting saved today than ever before. And I believe when before Jesus comes back that more people will be saved. But I also believe that more, more persecution and more trouble will be on this earth prior to Jesus coming back. But because of that, I believe more and more people will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You went forth for the salvation of your people, your salvation with your anointed. Verse 14, you thrust through, through his own arrows the head of the villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like the feasting of a poor. In, in secret, you walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of your great waters. He said, when I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in what? In the day of trouble. To turn back to chapter 1, verse 2. Do you remember how we started this passage? How we started this series? Lord, what in the world's going on? You remember what he said in verse 2? Oh Lord, how long... Shall I cry, and you will not hear? Lord, how long do I have to live in this situation? And what God has done was taken him through a journey. And you come to the very, almost the very end of the book of Habakkuk. And he says that I may rest. Lord, I don't care how long it takes place. I'm going to rest in the day of trouble. I had an opportunity to speak to one of our Sunday school classes a few minutes ago, and I told him a while ago we were talking about Elijah, some of his struggles that he had later on in his life, and how we should never look at circumstances. All of us are facing circumstances. We will face circumstances until Jesus comes back. And our prayer is not to get us out of a circumstance because as soon as we get out of one circumstance, there's probably going to be another one right around the corner. Our prayer is, God, give me rest and give me joy in the middle of that circumstance. So here's the question you have to settle. Everything that we mentioned in chapter 3, is it fact or is it fiction? Do you believe some of the things that we mentioned here earlier, there's some things that we were not able to identify. Do you know those? Do you believe them? And I would assume everybody in this room would say, yeah, Brother John, I remember, I, I, I'm reminded of what God has done. All of those miraculous events in the Old Testament, the, the, the demonstration of His power, even to the salvation that He's provided, I believe all of that. Is this biblical faith or is this a collection of beautiful, inspiring stories? Did God actually deliver the Jewish people from Egypt by miracles at the time of the Exodus? Did God actually bring plagues upon Egypt? Did God actually divide the waters of the Red Sea and later the waters of the Jordan River? Did God actually stop the sun and the moon in the days of Joshua at Gibeon? How do you answer those? 
determines where you're at in life. Because if those things are true, we have a great God in whom we can indeed rejoice. We can rejoice even in the worst of times, just like Habakkuk did, because we are reminded of what we already know. And that's what God was trying to tell Habakkuk. Remind yourself of what you already know. There was a man who was going through quite a bit of trials in life. He was suffering more than the average person. Yet in the midst of all of those trials, he was uh, leaning on the Lord. He was a man of joy. His demeanor was, was a person of peace. And somebody came up to him and said, Sir, I, I know everything that you're going through. How in the world, because of all that you're going through, can you remain peaceful? Can you remain joyful? Can you have a, a, a calmness about you knowing all of the things that you were going through? He said, I tell you what, when you get a chance, I want you to come by my house and I'll show you why I have a peace and why I have a joy even in the midst of all trouble. The guy said, I'll be there. Next couple of days, this guy who went over to the house said, man, I, I'd like to know what, what he's doing. Maybe he's eating something right or maybe he's doing something. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm just excited to be there. So he walked and knocked on the door, knocked on the man's house and the man opened the door and said, hey, I appreciate you coming by. And the other guy said, well, you told me to come by. I'm looking for some answers to life and how you can have this joy in and, and, uh, the midst of all your troubles. He said, I want you to come back over here. And he took him back to a room and he showed him this huge picture. And this huge picture was the picture of Daniel in the lion's den. He said, I want you to look at that picture. What do you see? He looked at the picture and he saw the, the, the ferocious lions. A lot of times in, in those pictures we see the lions just laying down, you know, real calm. Lions don't do that. He, the, the author showed, the, 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 uh, the person that, the, that, that drew this, the, uh, the, the ferociousness of, of, of the lion, the teeth that were coming out. And how, how Daniel is, is sitting there and as he's sitting there in the den of the lions and he's not devoured by the lions, up in this dungeon was a light that was coming down from on top. And as that guy sat there and looked at that picture, he said, I don't understand. I see these, these, these ferocious lions and I see Daniel right over there. And, and then the guy said, look at, look at Daniel's eyes and he got real close because his eyes were real real small and his eyes were looking up at that light and the guy said if you want to have joy that overcomes fear don't look at the circumstances around you because they're great and if you focus on them your circumstances will devour you Instead, there's a light and there's a peace that is coming down even in the midst of your trials that no matter what you're going through in life, that light protects you and that light will give you a joy that will overcome any fear in life. Let's pray. As we pray today, I want to challenge you this morning if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Can I tell you some more history? As you go to the New Testament, our Lord died on the cross for you. 
poured out His precious blood because God is the God of salvation. Whether it's the New Testament, Old Testament, or whether it's today, God has one mission for every person in this world, and that's to save them and to give them everlasting life. And I encourage you this morning, I don't care what you're going through, I don't know, it, it doesn't matter. All that matters is, do you know Jesus and do you have a relationship with Him? And I challenge you today, if you don't know Him as your Savior, in just a minute you'd come. We've got some people down here in the front that would love to help you. I can talk to you about how to have a relationship with Christ, how Jesus Christ can give you that joy that nobody else can give you, only Jesus. And I encourage you, if you're not born again, if you're not saved, if you don't have that relationship with Christ, that you'd come here in just a moment. Christian, what about you? We all go through circumstances. Remind yourself of what you already know. How God is mighty, how He's powerful, how He's faithful. And how He has a purpose for what you're going through. Cling to Him. Look to the light. Don't look to the circumstances. Would you in just a moment when we pray, maybe just lift that up say, God, you know what I'm going through. Help me to focus on You. Help me to trust in You. Lord, I love You today. God, for those who need to come this morning to be saved, God, would You send the harvest. God, would You send those who need that personal relationship with You, who need that joy, even in the midst of fear. God, would You save them today and would they come? God, there may be those who have been saved who are needing to be baptized, needing to make that decision in their life. God, would You give them the courage to come down, to make their salvation public, and to be ready for believer's baptism. There may be those that are saved and they're not members of this church. God, You call them to get plugged in and to be active and to join and to be a part. God, would You give them the courage to come down this morning to become part of this family. We love You today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing as Brother Andy leads us this morning.